Welcome to the Impact 360 Institute podcast, where our goal is to explore biblical worldview and servant leadership to equip you for everyday influence. Here's your host, author and director of cultural engagement, Jonathan Morrow. How do you introduce Christianity to Mormons? Really excited to talk to a good friend today on the Impact 360 Institute podcast. My friend Eric Johnson has written a brand new book, a little bit about Eric. He works with Mormonism Research Ministry, um, MRM.org, and has written and co-authored several books, including Answering Mormons' Questions, Mormonism 101, and Sharing the Good News with Mormons. He currently lives in Utah with his wife and three daughters. So, Eric, it's great to have you back on the podcast. I always enjoy talking to you and hearing about what's going on in your ministry, and you've written this new book, so thanks for taking some time to, to spend with us today. Thanks for having me on, Jonathan. Well, wonderful. So we'll, well, let's kind of start at the beginning a little bit, um, and we'll kind of get into a little bit of your story as we go. But, but I know you've written a lot of different books on this topic, and I know you're actively involved in ministry to our Mormon friends. And so why write this book now, Introducing Christianity to Mormons, A Practical and Comparative Guide to What the Bible Teaches? In the past 10 years, there, have, there has been a mass exodus out of Mormonism for a variety of reasons, everything from some history and doctrinal issues uh, that especially in the, in, from 2013 to 2015 came out with the church admitting to uh, some things that they had never admitted to before, like Joseph Smith having between 30 and 40 wives, teenage wives as young as 14, a third of his wives were, and a third who were married to living husbands, and uh, the Book of Mormon being translated with a, a magic stone and a hat that had never been admitted to before, those gospel topic essays found on the official LDS Church website. Uh, and then in the last few years, also, we've had a lot of progressive issues, everything having to do with LGBTQ+, all of those issues, and feminism issues. So people are leaving the church in droves. Unfortunately, they're not running to the local evangelical Christian church. In fact, a survey done by Jana Reese in a book called The Next Mormons, she's a Mormon blogger, and wrote a book with Oxford back in 2019 where she did a number of surveys. And in her survey, she found 45% of everyone who leaves the LDS church runs over to atheism agnosticism, or nothing at all. Another 21% claim to be, quote-unquote, just Christian. Well, they haven't gone to a church. They just have left the Mormon church, and because they're moral, they haven't committed adultery or murdered anyone lately, so they, they say, well, I'm a good person. I'm good enough. That's two out of three people who are leaving the church, leaving only one-third to fend for all the other religions, including Catholicism, liberal Christianity, and evangelical Christianity, along with uh, some of the world religions. But evangelical Christianity, about one out of ten who leave the LDS church end up settling with uh, a, a belief in Christ and uh, in, in the in the Christian Bible. Uh, that just is not very good. And so... Uh, I think we can do better. I think we have, not to minimize the gospel, but I think we have a pretty good product, the Bible being as reliable as it is, to be able to share truth and to uh, tell Latter-day Saints what it is that we do believe. Unfortunately, Latter-day Saints do have many misconceptions about what we as Christians believe. I have found that when you ask them what uh, the Trinity, they're against the Trinity. Well, what do you think the Trinity is? And they think it's a, a modalistic idea of, of 
God the Father being Jesus being uh, the Holy Ghost, and that's not that's not true at all. Uh, or they'll ask the question, "Who was Jesus praying to in the Garden of Gethsemane?" Uh, and or or the idea of grace, you know, the idea that we are saved by grace through faith and not by works. They think oftentimes that we don't believe in good works, and the idea that we can uh, somehow. Uh, earn our way through through righteous living is the way that it needs to be done. And so they'll quote uh, James 2.20. But that's not good either because we do believe in good works, but as part mm. of what we call sanctification and not justification. So right. these are some of the reasons I think this book is necessary to help Christians be able to explain Christianity to someone with a, an LDS worldview. No, that, that's super helpful as a way of introduction. And I want to come back to that number as people are listening. You know, you said 45% of those leaving go to atheism, agnosticism, or something else. And well, nothing I at all, to, actually. Yeah, or, just they don't just nothing. That's how our society is going nowadays. Yeah. And so one of the things that's operating in the background, of course, here at Impact 360, we've done a lot of research on this. We work with students every day. But in our latest Gen Z research, we found that 65% of teens today and young adults agree that many religions can lead to eternal life. Right. And so that's operating in the background of this new generation who maybe is wounded by or disillusioned by um, the LDS church or things like that, just generally speaking. And you've got this general pluralism, but they're not even stopping there. They're in many ways, they're kind of flying past the pluralism, like the true for you, but not for me kind of idea. Yep. Um, and so there's just just a lot going on there. And so why don't we do this? I know I know we've got we did an excellent podcast, and I want to refer our listeners back to that conversation with Eric Johnson, uh, where we've talked about um, his excellent book, Sharing the Good News with Mormons, and and talking about that um, and some of the key tenets there. But I, I would be it would be helpful for someone who's not very familiar, maybe to have is is what what generally speaking. Uh, do Mormons believe? Kind of that just kind of quick snapshot of, of kind of that religious snapshot for them, and then why it's so important um, to engage them, especially as Christians, because some people still think, you know, well, you know, aren't aren't Mormons Christians, right? I mean, they, they read the Bible, right? They talk about Jesus. So maybe just give a quick overview of, of kind of what, what, say, a typical Mormon would believe, and yeah, let's just start there. Well, that's a yeah, a broad question, and I'll do my best to try to summarize it. First, I want to explain that Mormons are normally very nice people, and I don't have anything against them. The Bible says in Ephesians 4.15, we're supposed to speak the truth in love. That is uh, crucial to what I do. First uh, Peter 3.16 says we're supposed to have an answer for everyone who asks us to give the reason for the hope we have, but to do it with gentleness and respect. So first and foremost, I want to make sure everybody understands we've got to be gentle and loving to the Latter-day Saints. They're not the enemy. Absolutely. As, as far as being a Christian, they do claim to be Christians. Now, that wasn't true 30-plus years ago when I first started to do ministry to Mormons. They did not want to be known as Christians, but in the last 30 years or so, they now covet that title. Uh, and so the question is, what is a Christian? And I don't like to get into a debate right off the bat and say, well, I'm a Christian and you're not a Christian. However, I will point out that there are major differences because Mormonism does deny or distort every fundamental teaching of the historic Christian church. There's no denying that. And so my job then is to explain 
what some of those differences are. But, uh, you know, in fact, my title, Introducing Christianity to Mormons, is kind of controversial because they are already our Christians, they would believe. And I didn't write this book for Mormons so, per, per se. I wrote it for evangelical Christians, but I would love to have a Mormon read it. But uh, they'd say, well, wait a minute, introducing Christianity? We already are Christians. And to Mormons, that's a term that I'm not supposed to use according to the 98-year-old uh, uh, president of the church, Russell M. Nelson, who in 2018, when he took over, uh, said that Jesus is offended when we use the word Mormon or LDS or, or Mormonism. And in fact, they changed the name of their website, mormon.org and lds.org to churchofjesuschrist.org. They felt so strongly about it. Changed the name of their choir even from the Mormon Tabernacle Choir to the, the, the choir at, at, at Temple Square. So, uh, but, you know, here's the thing. Mormon has been a word that's been used traditionally for many, many years. Uh, uh, they had a campaign called I Am a Mormon. They did name their choir the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. It's interesting. In 2018, all of a sudden, Jesus gets upset. But let's just say I'm not supposed to use that. How am I supposed to advertise this book? What's my title? They wouldn't want me to just use plain old Christianity, so I'm supposed to say introducing evangelical Christianity to members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That would make no sense. That would not sell to a Christian audience who don't even know what the Church of Jesus Christ or the Church of, uh, of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is all about. So, so I want to point out that I'm not trying to be offensive even in that title, but in a quick nutshell, Mormonism teaches, and by the way, never tell a Latter-day Saint what he or she believes. That's what some Christians will do and make a mistake, and they'll say, you believe this, you believe that. They'll read our books, and they'll go, oh, I, I know what you believe. They may not believe. They may, may not agree with what the church leaders have said, but typically, Mormonism as a whole, the leaders have taught that God is, uh, uh, has a body of flesh and bone, once lived in a previous realm. He is not eternal God in the sense that he's always been the God of this universe, but uh, was on a previous world worshiping his own God, and that God had worshiped his own God and so forth. So they don't believe in a truly an everlasting God who always has been God. They also believe that men and women can become gods and goddesses in the next life and be able to continue on what Joseph Smith uh, 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 taught that it, toward the end of his life, that it's possible for you to be with your families forever and continue on as gods and goddesses. Jesus is a created being of of God, Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother. That's their official names. Uh, we would say God the Father. They say Heavenly Father or Elohim. And, uh, and so he was born as the firstborn, Lucifer followed, and all people were born as well uh, in this previous world called the spirit, uh, the, 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 well, it's called pre-existence, but we were spirit children of Heavenly Father and Heavenly Mother, and we're only born on earth when we accepted Jesus' plan. One third of our brothers and sisters did not accept Jesus' plan and were cast out. Lucifer became Satan, and they became the demons, one third of our brothers and sisters. They teach in four different scriptures. They teach the Bible as, as the Word of God. As far as it's translated correctly, they believe in the Book of Mormon, which is a, a story of ancient Israelites who came to the Americas, uh, and, uh, and Jesus appeared to them after he left Israel. The Doctrine and Covenants, uh, produced mainly by Joseph Smith, the founder of this church. Uh, most of their unique doctrines are found in the Doctrine and Covenants and also the Pearl of Great Price. Then, and finally, I'll give you one other difference. Salvation uh, they have a verse in, in their Book of Mormon, Second uh, Nephi 25:23, that we're saved by grace after all we can do. What the leaders have very clearly taught, and you can support with their unique standard works, those four scriptures, including the Bible. What 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 they will say is that 
Um, God has commanded, keep the commandments of God continually. And unless you do where I am, you cannot come. That's Doctrine and Covenants, section 25, verse 15. Uh, how many of those commandments are they supposed to keep? When you ask a Latter-day Saint, they will say all of them. How often? All the time. I always like to ask the question, so how are you doing at that? And they come up with excuses because they're not doing it. And so they'll say, well, I'm trying or I'm doing my best. But those are merely excuses for doing what God said in 1 Nephi 3, 7 in the Book of Mormon, they're capable of doing. God does not give commandments that cannot be kept. So they all know they're capable of keeping those commandments, and they all know they're not keeping all of those commandments, which puts them in a precarious position, because if they were to die right now, they would not get the very best this religion has to offer. There are three kingdoms of glory after we die and we go to a, um, a temporary state, uh, uh, and, and then after that, final judgment will be the celestial kingdom, the terrestrial kingdom, or the telestial kingdom. But the only place where you can be with your family forever is in the celestial kingdom. And no Latter-day Saint that I ever talked to thinks that if he were to die right now, he knows that he would be able to have what Mormonism calls eternal life or exaltation or celestial glory to be able to be in that kingdom with their heaven. So you can see just from the little that I've been able to share here in five minutes, these are major differences mm -hmm. between what we believe and what, uh, and what the Latter-day Saint is told. Again, find out from him what he, and you have to know the language, and that's important too. I have a glossary in this new book, Introducing Christian to Mormon, Christianity to Mormons, yes. where, it, where what we do is we try to explain what does the Latter-day Saint mean when he says God, Jesus, or salvation by grace. Yeah, and in just a minute, I'd like to walk through a couple of those just kind of rapid fire in a minute. But let's, I want one of the things that, um, and that's such a helpful summary. And as someone is listening to this podcast right now, they're probably going, okay, that was a lot of doctrine, a lot of different distinctions. And maybe I don't even know how I might respond or think through those things or what the Bible says that about that. And that's one of the things I think is going to be so helpful about your book that you've written to kind of walk through some of those things. But let's just, I want to zoom back up to the kind of 30,000 foot level from your experience and maybe maybe share a little bit about um, as a way of introduction to why you now do what you do and how you um, moved, you know, and, and, and moved to Utah and moved to engage our Mormon friends. But in your experience, why are most people who are Mormons, why are they Mormons? Is it somebody shared their faith? Is it somebody, were they born into it? Kind of what's what's been your general experience and then kind of what led you to care about ministering to people who need the true gospel um, in these conversations? Yeah, I, I moved to Utah in 2010. I started working with Bill McKeever of Mormonism Research Ministry, the founder of our ministry uh, in 1989. He began the ministry in 1979. So I volunteered part time. Uh, and then I started teaching in 1993. I taught high school Bible. I was a Bible department head of a large Christian school in Southern California before I decided finally to move here. Bill had moved here from Southern California in 2004, and I came in 2010. I came here not because I hate Mormons. If I hated Mormons, I had a pretty good situation where I was in Southern California. I coached softball. I, I taught at the local community college. I was department head. Uh, I could have easily finished out my career at this Christian school, but I, I just felt called. I've never been LDS, neither has Bill. 
Uh, but we feel called to this people as somebody who's called to Papua New Guinea is called there. We, I, I have a deep compassion for Latter-day Saints who are some of the most sincerest, hardest working people I know. But when it comes to having a relationship with Jesus, they just don't know if they were to die right now, where they would end up. There's a lot of fear uh, here. And so that's why I decided to move here. Why do people join the church? Well, I think most people who are in the church generally were members with their parents. Either they were born into it or their parents joined at a very early age. I know that well more than 60, 70, 80% of all Latter-day Saints are in that situation. Uh, for those who convert, one of the major reasons why people convert is they meet somebody who's Latter-day Saint and they have the missionary lessons to be able to continue dating. And the only way that person who's the Latter-day Saint is going to marry that person is by the other person joining the church. So that becomes, uh, that becomes for, I'm going to say, uh, probably close to half of all the conversions I've heard, they, they moved because of a, of a marriage or they were dating somebody. Maybe they didn't even get married down the road. But uh, for, for others, they like the idea of the family. It's uh, especially when you have children, a young couple and they have children and the missionaries come knocking on their door and telling them that, well, we're a Christian religion that emphasizes families and will help take care of you when bad times happen. And they do a good job of that. I find that uh, that family is a carrot for many people, and the idea that you can be with your family forever by getting baptized, uh, being confirmed, uh, going to church regularly, uh, being able to go to the temple by going through some hoops, including paying your tithing, uh, wearing special undergarments, um, and not drinking coffee and tea. Those are some of the rules that are required for you to get into the temple. Only one out of four Mormons actually gets to go into the temple to have a special ID card called a temple recommend. And then they get married there for time and eternity. And if they keep all the commandments, both of them and their children, they'll be able to live in this uh, new world uh, uh, that they will be able to procreate, the, the man will. And with his wives, polygamy will be reinstated according to Mormon leaders. Uh, and uh, they'll be able to uh, do what Heavenly Father did. Heavenly Father was once a man like we are. We are men like him today. And the hope is that we will be able to become exalted and, uh, and have eternal life. No, thank you for, for kind of sharing kind of a little bit of your story, but also just generally kind of why people find themselves in the, in, in the church of the Mormon church and, and, and those kind of things. And that's a really helpful thing because I know people listening to this um, probably have friends or family members who are Mormon and, mm -hmm. and wonder, okay, how do I, how do I think about this? But many, many people listening may not have those relationships. And in fact, when they see people maybe heading for their door, they're, they're locking up. They're not wanting to let people in. They're not wanting to engage. But what I want to remind all of us is, is as followers of Jesus, we are ambassadors of the Lord Jesus in whatever time and place he's placed us in. And there's a lot of different religions out there. And sometimes because Mormonism seems quote unquote, similar to Christianity, in a way that, say, Islam doesn't. So, for example, okay, you've got Muhammad the prophet, you've got the Quran. That's very, those are obviously different worldviews. Mm -hmm. But sometimes people are like, well, okay, I kind of get lost in the weeds, and aren't they just another denomination? And how do I talk to my friends and family members? Uh, but one of the things that you'll find is that, um, and, and I love your heart for this because. You know, here at Impact 360, we want to train our students to engage well, to follow Jesus well, cultivate leaders who follow Jesus. 
In fact, during our fellows experience with our Impact 360 fellows, we actually take time to go to Salt Lake City and engage our Mormon friends and use these kind of resources and use these truths to engage um, in talk conversations around the truth and, and, and so important uh, because there's just a lot of darkness and a lot of, you know, there's just cultivating a heart for lost people of which our Mormon friends are lost if they don't know the true Jesus. Maybe just talk a little bit about kind of what breaks your heart about um, the typical uh, maybe experience. I know some of that's behind that, maybe that 45% number, but just maybe kind of paint a little bit of a picture of, of kind of the true reality of how impossible it is to live up to this kind of this impossible gospel or this false gospel and how that plays itself out in the day and day life of a typical Mormon. I think for a lot of people, when they do find out the truth about Joseph Smith and the way that their Book of Mormon or Book of Abraham came about, uh, there's a lot of frustration and anger. They, uh, um, uh, th th when they leave, I think the reason why so many, half of the people are going to nothing is because they've been burned by religion. I was just talking to somebody, uh, um, a, a couple the other day, and, uh, and, and I asked, have you ever considered Christianity? They said, we will not consider another ism or itty anymore. I mean, that's it. And I said, mm -hmm. well, I mean, uh, so you're just going to assume that there is no God? Well, we don't know, but we don't care because we've been burned. So that, if you want to know what breaks my heart, is what this church has done with its human rules and regulations. They claim that there was an apostasy that took place soon after the death of the apostles, that all Christian churches were wrong. They have a section in their scripture in the Pearl of Great Price, uh, the history of Joseph Smith, chapter 1, verse 19, where God supposedly said that, all of their creeds were an abomination in his sight. All their professors were corrupt, that there was no truth found in them. And so many Latter-day Saints have the idea that if the church isn't true, I'm talking about the LDS church, then nothing else is. I can't tell you how many Latter-day Saints who have been told that, uh, you know, where, where are you going to go? I mean, you can't go to Christianity because it has nothing to offer. So my, my uh, heart is for people who are either in the church and I want to be able to share with them what I believe is good news. Good news that you don't have to shoulder the burden that Jesus paid it all on Calvary. He called it finished. And uh, when he did so, it's based on his imputed righteousness into our lives, not based on what we did, but based on what he did. There's no other way to gain the perfection that Latter-day Saints are striving to have, but they know they could never reach that. Uh, so so I, I really... Uh, I really want to be able to have Christians be able to share a reasonable uh, presentation of the gospel to be able to explain to them what salvation by grace really means. To explain also that good works are important, but not for what we do for our justification, but rather for our sanctification. For, for the Christian to also be able to share with them how reliable our Bible is. That's something else the church has done. Uh, eighth article of faith written by Joseph Smith. He had 13 articles to explain what the church believed. And uh, in the eighth article of faith, it says that the Book of Mormon is the Word of God, and so is the Bible, as far as it is translated correctly. And I spend two chapters of my ten chapters in introducing Christianity to Mormons to try to explain the powerful case of the Bible, its accuracy, reliability, the archaeology that helps us to see that this is a book for God to special revelation give us 
what his mind is so we know how we're supposed to believe and how we're supposed to live. And that I want also to give to the Latter-day Saints so that they will read their Bibles and know that it's trustworthy and that God speaks through uh, his word and not through scriptures that were put together by Joseph Smith. No, and that's and that's vitally important. I was actually just about to get to, to why it's important to spend and why you sp- spent so much time on the Bible and archaeology. So maybe maybe share a few of the highlights of why the historical and archaeological evidence specifically can be so powerful in our conversations with our Mormon friends. Look, Jonathan, I go to Israel every year. I've been doing that since 2009. I've taken lots of people to Israel. Uh, I'll be going there again in February, March for a couple of trips. I love to take people to the places talked about in the Bible. Let me give you one example, Lachish. A lot of people don't go to Lachish. It was the last remaining city from King Sennacherib who went town to town and conquered them all. And the second greatest was Lachish. He builds a ramp up to Lachish and he destroys uh, Lachish. He, he, he either kills people or, or he puts them into bondage. His last town well, it's the city of Jerusalem. Now, Hezekiah, the king at the time, back in the eight, uh, seven, early 700s uh, B.C., had prepared for Sennacherib, but there was no way he was going to be able to stop Sennacherib. Sennacherib or, uh, uh, Hezekiah builds a tunnel even to bring water from the outside pool of Siloam into the inside of the city because there are no wells or any water on the rock of Jerusalem. So you can actually visit that today. You can walk through it and feel the chisel mark. 1,750 feet, an amazing engineering feat. You can go visit both Lachish and Hezekiah's tunnel and see that these are real places. But when it comes to the Book of Mormon, which is supposed to be a historical book. And if it's not a historical book, leaders have said that Mormonism is a fraud. I would agree. Uh, There is no knowledge of where any event took place in the Book of Mormon. And there were millions of people involved. Uh, Some, like Glenn Beck, will point to North America as the place where these events took place. And that seems to make the most sense because the Hill Cumorah is in New York. That's where supposedly this angel, Moroni, who once was a human being, the last living Nephite in the Book of Mormon story, buried the plates, the gold plates that Joseph Smith supposedly dug up. But most scholars at BYU are pointing to Central America, and they're they're showing you Mayan ruins as where the Lamanites, the evil people, had lived. And, and uh, there's no connection whatsoever, Jonathan, to any of that. Uh, the Book of Mormon has nothing to help us understand that it's a historical book. Uh, and there's a lot of, uh, of quoting from the Bible. Uh, I have uh, hundreds, literally hundreds of citations out of the King James Version of the Bible from the Old Testament that are, uh, or excuse me, from the New Testament that are being cited in Old Testament times for the, uh, for the Book of Mormon people, because you have to understand, they didn't come over until 600 BC, and then they lived from 600 BC to 400 AD. Jesus had come in there somewhere around 35, 33, somewhere in that vicinity, and spent a little time with the, the Nephites and the Lamanites. But uh, you have all these anachronisms that just don't make any sense, all these copying exactly out of the King James Version of the Bible. So many problems with the Book of Mormon. So much right, though, going with the Bible. I, and so I do, I put emphasis on those first two chapters because if I can't show you that the Bible is true, then it just becomes my mere opinion. I'm going to, throughout this book, cite hundreds 
of Bible verses to support my case. I'm not just saying this is my opinion. I'm going to use the Bible, and I'm also going to use scholars uh, throughout the book that will help me to make the case, uh, Christian scholars and even non-Christian scholars, to show that the case of Christianity is, is sound uh, and, and the Bible is is worthy of being trusted. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's um, so powerful. I was just with our students. We took them to Israel um, in May and Lachish and these other places that yeah. you spoke of to see, it's like, no, this is not fairy tales for grownups. This is real dirt, real places, yep. real stone, real events that are described in the Bible. And and that just only increases our confidence that the Bible is God's word. And it's just in stark, stark contrast with just the 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 absence of evidence for the Book of Mormon and and all of these other claims that are made there. So I think it's remarkable. Um, and it's a great way to to kind of help people and have give Christians confidence in that. I love that you spent time in those places. Um in your book. And again, my conversation is with Eric Johnson, author of the brand new book, Introducing Christianity to Mormons. It's a, it's a great uh, book that will help you clarify what you believe in an easy way, tell the difference between what Christians believe um, historically and what um, our Mormon friends who claim to be Christians um, actually believe, and then give them the difference. Um, you know, and so what I want to do is maybe let's do a little bit of a rapid fire speed round. Cause I know a lot of people listening are not expert in this. They may not even have a lot of categories, but so in, in your glossary, and this is by the way, if you're listening, what's one of the most helpful things about this book, it's such a good book, but one of the things, just this glossary in the back and where in it, Eric goes into detail. Okay. The LDS person says, believes this and the Christian believes that. And it's just very simple. But um, let's let's go through um, when we hear the word, for example, um, gospel, how would a Christian define that? And then how is that typically interpreted for our Mormon friends? Do they need the gospel in the same way or or how would you talk about the quick differences between that term? Yeah, and, and th this is the problem is we have this word that could be uh, a, a number of things. And, and for the Christian, gospel could be either the first four books at the beginning of the New Testament that tells the story of Jesus. Uh, those would be called the four gospels. Or it's an explanation of how forgiveness of sin is available through faith in Jesus. So when we say we're giving the gospel out on the street today, that's what we're normally talking about. But for the Latter-day Saint, this is what one leader said about uh, the gospel, all doctrines, principles, laws, ordinances, and covenants necessary for a Latter-day Saint to receive eternal life. I was talking earlier about the celestial kingdom. Eternal life is synonymous with exaltation or the celestial kingdom. Yeah. So, so let's, let's, let's dial that back. Cause I know I've been in conversations with, uh, with Mormons and different people about these concepts because Explain how they think that because Jesus Christ already died on the cross and things like that, they they've already there's kind of a baseline that that's kind of already true for everybody in terms of being saved, quote unquote, or something like that, versus this celestial kingdom and obedience and those kind of can you kind of just kind of flesh that out a little bit for people? Because that's a big point of confusion um, in terms of kind of how that relates to Jesus and the death of Jesus and the resurrection yeah. and things like that. 
In Mormonism, there's two types of salvation. So when the Mormon says, oh, I believe in salvation, or I, I believe in um, uh, salvation by grace even, you ask the Latter-day Saint, what do you mean when you say salvation by grace? Because there are two possible meanings. One is general salvation. Based on our obedience in what we call the preexistence, as I mentioned before, that all people who are born because they chose Jesus in that previous state are going to get one of three kingdoms of glory, it's called. That's the celestial, the terrestrial, or the telestial. And so just the idea that you are going to be immortal, that's called immortality, is provided for people who are, um, who, who are generally saved through salvation or through uh, grace, through the atonement. So when a Mormon says salvation by grace, and he's trying to make it sound like everybody gets to go to the celestial kingdom, I mean, you can say, well, okay, so then you're thinking I get to go to the celestial kingdom too because of the atonement and grace. Uh, I don't believe in Joseph Smith as being a prophet of God. I don't believe in the Book of Mormon, but I guess I, I through salvation by grace, as you say, I'm, I'm going where you're going. And they'll, right away, they'll tell you, not quite. That's not quite how it works. You haven't been through the temple. You have to do that. So that would be the first type. The second type is individual salvation, which is synonymous with eternal life or celestial glory, and that has to be earned through good works. You have to repent, and you have to successfully keep all of God's commandments that the church says you're supposed to keep. They make covenants when they get baptized at the age of eight. Before eight, you're not a sinner. At eight, you become a sinner. Uh, there's no original sin in Mormonism. And so you have to get baptized. They do believe in baptismal regeneration. You promise, you covenant, it's what it's called. You covenant to keep all of God's commandments. You do that also in the temple. When you go to the temple, you covenant to keep God's commandments. And then every week when they take what's called sacrament, sort of like our Lord's Supper or the Eucharist, uh, they take bread and water and they repent of the sins from that past week. And then they promise to keep God's commandments. How many? All of them. How often? All the time. And yet next week they're going to be repenting and repenting the same sins again. If it's based on your efforts and works, uh, individual salvation, uh, exaltation is not possible. I think most Latter-day Saints understand that. And that it depresses a lot of people not knowing if they're good enough to be able to, to uh, be able to get to where they hope to go. Yeah, absolutely. And even just a, a follow-up question in your conversations with people um, who believe this is, you know, are you sure you've done enough? Are you, right. do you, you know, and then how would you know? And, and would you want to know if you could know, you know, and maybe lead them through the, to the truth of the gospel in light of that. But maybe here's a little pushback with follow-ups. Well, well, look, Eric, aren't we all children of God? That phrase is one you define and talk about. So what would be a Christian understanding of that? And then what would be an LDS understanding or a Mormon understanding of that term children of God? Uh, quite simply, a child of God, according to John 1, 12, is a person whose sins are forgiven. Those who believe are children of God. It's not a position you were given in the preexistence. That's what Mormonism teaches. And when a Latter-day Saint calls you brother, uh, well, you have to understand he's meaning that literally. We're all brothers and sisters from the preexistence. That is the Christian position versus Mormon position. Being born in that preexistent state gives you the right to be called a child of God. That is not a biblical concept. Romans chapter 8 also talks about what it means to be a child of God. So, so we want to make sure that uh, Latter-day Saints do not think 
that we think they're children of God, that we, and we don't think uh, a person who's unregenerate is a child of God, only those who have had trusting faith. Yeah, then that's great. And so just for a point of clarity here, all Christians in Christianity teaches that all people, believer and unbeliever, are made in the image of God, right, and therefore worthy of dignity and respect, but only a person whose sins are forgiven through trust in Jesus becomes a child of God. Right. That's an important Christian distinction. Whereas our Mormon or LDS, LDS friends are going to say, no, you're all, we're all children of God in that sense. And so again, the importance of defining our terms, what do you mean by that? How did you come to that conclusion? I know our good friend, Greg Kokul and his book tactics, really that excellent, such a helpful, yeah. that just needs to be part of everybody's conversation. When we talk to our friends, whatever their spiritual or religious background just to get clarity in what we believe. Well, all right, well, what about the nature of God? Because when we say God as a Christian, we mean one thing, according to the Bible, and our Mormon or LDS friends believe something different. So give a quick, maybe, distinction between those two fundamental understandings. Well, I mean, for the Christian, he's the first member of the Trinity. Mormonism does not accept the Trinity. He's uncreated. He's the uncaused cause. Uh, he's spirit. John 4.24 very clearly teaches that God is spirit, and he must be worshipped in spirit and truth. But according to Mormonism, God has a tangible body of flesh and bones, Doctrine and Covenants, section 130, verse 22. Uh, they'll also call him Elohim, but normally will call him Heavenly Father who once was a righteous human in another realm, he died. How he died? Many Latter-day Saints will say that, uh, if you ask them, do you think that God may have sinned? And they'll 70% uh, plus of the time, Latter-day Saints will tell me, yeah, he, he had to have been a sinner because I'm a sinner, so he must have also sinned, and how do you die unless you have sinned? But then he was apparently good enough to become God of this world. He took over this universe, and so he's the one God to whom... Mormons will pray to, to worship. Uh, Jesus is just a God. The Holy Ghost is just a God. Uh, that's not monotheism. That could be either classified as polytheism or perhaps henotheism, because they don't worship. They don't worship more than one God. They worship only Heavenly Father. But we as Christians believe Jesus also is God, and so is the Holy Spirit. But that's where their rejection of the Trinity comes in. I think that's problematic. Yeah, for sure. And so um, and and you're, you have chapters on these in your book, um, Introducing Christianity to Mormons, that kind of make these distinctions. I want to follow up our conversation because it's it. I found over and over and over again when I get in conversations with my Mormon and LDS friends, and I'm sure you have too, it always comes back to this confusion around grace. So Mormons say they're also saved by grace. How could a Christian handle this topic when describing justification, and how does this differ from sanctification? And maybe which verses would be good to bring up when talking about this topic, just to make it clear? Well, I certainly enjoy Ephesians 2, 8, 9 when it comes to the issue of grace, which is unmerited favor from God provided to those who place their trust in Jesus. In Mormonism, it's a much different idea. It's enabling power provided by God to help a person keep the commandments. So get the difference. Christianity, it's a gift. We're saved by grace through faith. This is not of yourselves Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, it is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. Well, in Mormonism, it's just the ability to do what your end of the bargain is. God has done his part through the atonement and grace. You now have to finish it. And that's where 2 Nephi 25, 23, I cited earlier, comes in. You're saved by grace after 
all you can do. So when a Latter-day Saint brings up the issue of, well, I believe I'm saved by grace. Okay, well, can you explain that to me, please? What do you mean when you say saved by grace? You'll find out real quick if they know their Mormonism that it's a... Uh, it's the ability to do what God has given you. And as I said, 1 Nephi 3, 7 says it's possible to keep the commandments. So then, now we come down to the brass tacks. Are you doing what God said you're capable of doing and what you're supposed to do? No, I'm not. I'm trying. I'm doing my best. I think you point out that trying is a admission of failure to do what God has given to you. Because if you're trying to climb the mountain, you haven't done what you set out to do. Uh, Spencer Kimball in his book, The Miracle of Forgiveness on pages 164 and 165 said, trying is not sufficient, nor is repentance complete when one merely tries to abandon sin. To try is weak. To do the best you can is not strong. You must always do better than you can. This is true in every walk of life. The problem is Latter-day Saints are doing their best and they realize that's not good enough. That, that, so I, I think when you're dealing with the issue of salvation, Jonathan, bring up Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Don't forget verse 10. We are created to do good works. That's what sanctification is. That's a follow-up to what a person who has the Holy Spirit. Good works will come as a result, the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. But bring up 1 John 5, 13, which John says we may know we have eternal life. Now remember, I said earlier, eternal life is synonymous with exaltation or celestial glory. That's getting the very best this religion has to offer. The only way you get that is if you keep all the commandments continually. So this is a real bugaboo because if you ask a Latter-day Saint, are you able to say that you know you have exaltation, you have eternal life, celestial glory? And they'll say, no, but I'm trying. There we go again. It's that, rap, it's that hamster wheel. They can never do enough. I would, I would hone in on Christianity's gospel. Every Christian, and I know you're a believer in this because I've read your book, that you need to know what it is you believe. You need to be able to explain it in a way that somebody else can at least fathom and understand what the gospel is all about. And I think if you do that, you do what, I think it's Greg Kokel that talked about a pebble in your shoe, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you put that in the shoe and, and uh, they walk away and they're, thinking about it. They're going, man, that guy knows that if he dies right now, he's, he's a saved individual. He's going to heaven. I don't know that. That bothers them. If that means they're going to start reading their Bible more, maybe go on the internet and see some other things, they very possibly could leave. I just don't want them to leave for nothing. I want them to leave uh, a religion for uh, Christianity, which is a religion, but it's also about having a personal relationship with Jesus. That's not stressed in Mormonism. No, that, that's vital. And again, you know, I, I love John 17, 3. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And so I've just, you know, kind of held out a Bible to my Mormon friends sometimes. Okay, read that passage. Now, sh tell me how the Bible is defining eternal life. And, and what's the difference between how you're understanding eternal life? And hopefully just pointing them to God's word, which is alive and just Whenever the Bible describes that, it can be a very powerful thing as well. You yeah. know, just those passages, knowing those. And again, it's just a reminder for us as, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to memorize Scripture, to know Scripture, to be familiar with what God has said on these things so that we can help, right? We're, this isn't just like a theological quiz we're trying to pass. I mean, we're trying to know God's Word so we can be a light in this world to whoever is in darkness. And that's a lot of our um, friends who 
um, who would call themselves LDS or Mormon or part of the Mormon church. And so sometimes that isn't on our radar in the way that maybe other world religions like Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam are. And that's why I think it's so powerful and so important that you are doing the ministry. You are that people are thinking about how do we, okay, if they think they're Christians, but they're really not, man, there's eternal consequences for that sure. life apart from God forever. And I know that's not popular or even enjoyable to think about, um, but it's true because not everyone um, will be, um, who thinks they're saved will be saved if they're not trusting in the true Jesus and the true gospel. And so, right. um, so anyway, it's vital. And that's why I'm so glad you've written it. Now, uh, there's so much more we could talk about. There's so many helpful topics in here, but maybe let's kind of land on this, this idea, you know, you know, let's just kind of make this real practical for someone who has got, or maybe a relative who's an LDS uh, member or church. How is it possible for them to share their Christian faith without kind of causing, you know, a lot of relational upheaval, you know, the family reunions, the family dinners, you know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, you know, maybe coach, coach someone up about, okay, how do I do this well? And, um, and what do I do if I end up offending them? And is that always about that? Yeah, that's a that's a hard question. I have relatives on my wife's side. Uh, half of her family is LDS. My wife never was, but half of her uh, well, one brother and one sister ended up joining uh, from her parents. And um, and so I've been to lots of family reunions and gatherings. They know what we do, and and so it's always a, a, a it's a source of tension. There's no doubt about that. Uh, my belief is you don't want to lose future opportunities by trying to take the bull by the horns and force a conversation of any kind. I think when I go to uh, any family gathering where I know there's LDS there, uh, I'm very cautious. I don't engage in anything unless I know that person well enough that they could accept a little bit of me asking a question maybe. But you do look for inroads. And I have had a few of those, as few as they are, where somebody might come and say, so why do you believe this or whatever? And so, boy, they just opened the door. I uh, also have some Jehovah's Witness uh, family uh, members in my uh, wife's side. And uh, I know in a reunion we had back in 2019, we, we had like a two or three hour discussion with with uh, Jehovah's Witnesses there in my fa in my wife's family, it was great. I mean, I mean, and, and they asked for it, you know. So, so they brought it up. I I had been in this family for 34 years now, and it's the first time these Jehovah's Witnesses actually ever brought it up, which I thought, wow. That and, and there were some doubts they had, so it was good. It was a good conversation. I think you just have to be patient. I think we always must remember we're only in sales. God's in production. A good salesman who has this product called Christianity is not going to ruin it by stuffing it some, down somebody's throat and making themselves obnoxious about it. But look for the right opportunities. Ask questions as the tactics book by Greg Kokel does uh, recommend the Colombo tactic is used all the time by apologists here in Utah because it works so well. I, I think that if you if you have a prayerful attitude, if you are speaking the truth in love but minimizing it, uh, and I'm not saying you should never talk about it, but you just don't want to um, uh, to, to ruin relationships because families. They're not forever, but they are for the rest of your lives. And uh, you've got to you've got to live with your wife and your your uh, your family for that time. And so, 
I think caution is the most important thing anybody can understand. And I think God will provide the ways. He's the one who's involved in production anyway. You're not. So you present your case when you have that opportunity, and God will take over at the right time. I think that's that's great advice. And and one of the things I want to do by kind of finishing up our conversation is I'd love for you on in chapter 10, you talk in, in growing in the faith in that in that chapter, you tell a story about sitting across the table. Uh, at the Utah Lighthouse bookstore um, with with Hal and Jenny. Could you kind of unpack a little bit about how that went and maybe tie that into kind of what does it mean to grow in the faith and how that, how they were in a unique position asking that question? Yeah. uh, Hal and Jenny came in. I thought uh, this is a bookstore in Utah run by Sandra Tanner called the Utah Lighthouse bookstore across the street from Smith ballpark in Salt Lake city. And we volunteer on Saturdays. So back in 2015, I, uh, I'm there with Bill. Actually, we're normally not there together, but we were signing books for Mormonism 101, a book that came out that year uh, that compares Mormonism and Christianity. They came walking in and sat in the two chairs that are behind the desk where I was sitting and basically said, uh, we don't believe in Joseph Smith anymore. What do we do now? I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, this is like one of those cases where the fish jumps into the boat. And it's, it's like, are you serious? You're LDS and you don't believe in Joseph Smith? How long have you been in? 80 years. I thought they were in their late 60s or se- early 70s. I had no idea they were 80 years old. Long story short, and people can read about that in the, in the book, they ended up uh, uh, leaving Mormonism and have attended my Bible study at my home for seven years. I just saw them yesterday. They're now 87 years old. Uh, 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 Hal became a Christian uh, right away. Uh, uh, she had a hard time, but she came to the Bible studies. Uh, this, these past couple of years, we've been going through Romans. It's been so good because uh, I wanted to make sure they're both in good health, by the way. He's still driving. They're still doing very well. Uh, but I wanted to make sure that she had the gospel presented in such a way that she, that she at least know because she had a lot of problems. Her, all of their kids and grandkids are uh, still remaining Latter-day Saints. Can you imagine? I can't. I mean, that's so difficult. And she thought by becoming a Christian, she was going to damn all of her relatives, uh, and she just didn't like the idea of hell. Uh, wanted everybody to be happy in the end. And, and uh, But in the last year, uh, I believe that she has become a Christian. She has a whole new countenance. And, uh, and, and so uh, uh, I, think, I think Romans really was helpful because we were able to explain in brass tacks what exactly the gospel is all about. So they, um, they're, they're doing well. They, they uh, um, they're reading their Bible. They're uh, just a just a neat couple. Love these guys, and uh, um, I I just uh, I know they don't have many years left, but they are they say they are enjoying their their last seven years much more than ever before than they did in the LDS Church. Well, well, praise God for that. And one of the reasons that I wanted to kind of have you share that story is sometimes people, and we can all fall into this. We can think that sometimes people are unreachable, or that it's somebody will never change or somebody deeply entrenched in a different religion or worldview belief system, you know, nothing I say that'll help or nothing, you know, God couldn't possibly break through in that environment. So the first thing I just want to say is if there is someone in your life, you're listening to this, whatever the religious background, maybe it's Mormon, maybe it's LDS, maybe it's not, maybe it's, it's never too late. The gospel is powerful and we are not ashamed of the gospel 
and it's never too late. So keep praying. I know for me, my, my, my brother came to Christ later in life after a long time of, I wondered if he would actually come to that place. And, and he did by God's grace. And so if you, so if you have someone in your life that doesn't know Jesus, don't give up, keep praying. But second, prepare yourself to be able to do two things. Make the gospel clear and also know why you believe what you believe so that you can, by the power of the Holy Spirit, help somebody along and take a next step to grow either closer to the truth or once they find the truth, uh, to walk in it and be grounded in it. And so that's why I love this book um, by my friend Eric Johnson, Introducing Christianity to Mormons. Um, we'll have links um, on our website. Uh, you can find it anywhere books are sold. Really easy to read. It's helpful. It's clear. Um, it's not overwhelming, but it's going to give you some tools to really clarify what you believe, not only not only about the Mormon uh, faith and LDS church, but also what you believe as a Christian. So it's a great way to think through that as well. So again, tell us where we can find out more about your ministry, Eric, and, and, and what you're doing. And uh, yeah, share a little bit of that with us. Our website is mrm.org, Mormonism Research Ministry. So the initials, uh, we got a three-letter URL back in 1995. So that's how we were able to get three letters. I also have introducingchristianity.com as a website for this book. It has uh, answers to the questions asked at the end of the, each of the chapters. Uh, it has some other bells and whistles there. All the podcasts that I'm doing, I have links to all of those. Uh, so a, a, a page somebody could look at. I also have links at the top of the page to the three main online outlets that have this book, Amazon.com, uh, ChristianBooks.com, BarnesandNoble.com. If you do buy the book, I would love to have you write a review because uh, what will happen is Latter-day Saints will get on there and just give it a one-star review. So as many Christians as possible, if they could uh, who read it. I don't want you to write a review if you haven't read it, or at least look through it uh, to be able to do that. So, and if anybody is interested in our ministry, they can sign up for a free newsletter, an e-newsletter, uh, right on our main page, mrm.org. So, hopefully, our resources that we have hundreds and hundreds of articles, podcasts. We have over 3,000 of them. We do five a week, uh, 14 minutes at a time uh, that you can listen to. We're on six different radio stations as well. That's available there. We also have YouTube interviews. So hopefully that will be a resource for anybody out there who listens to you to uh, be able to have the ability to appropriately talk to a Latter-day Saint, understand where they're coming from, and hopefully be able to introduce Christianity to them. Well, I think that's wonderful. So, Eric, thank you so much for your faithfulness and your ministry and how God is using you um, in so many ways and uh, all the study and the time and the sacrifice. Just really grateful for you and all that you've done. And thanks for taking some time and joining us today on the podcast. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it, Jonathan. For more information about our on-campus worldview and leadership experiences for students and our accessible online courses like Explore Truth and Explore the Resurrection, visit impact360.org. Impact 360 Institute. Know. Be. Live.